Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, December the 2nd, and we gather around the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles with Song of Songs, Chapter 8. We're in the last chapter of this book, and it has been a real blessing for us to be able to look at, as as a number of our guests have said, the church is not a prude when it comes to the marriage, the, uh, the, the physical attraction, the consummation of a marriage, life together as a husband and wife, and especially in the Song of Songs, because it not only shows us that reality of the, uh, the desire of a husband and wife, but it also shows us the love that Christ has for his church. And for us to do that, we put on our Christ goggles as we look upon this. But also, this is really brought to mind for me, that not only does it show us the Christ goggles of a marriage of a husband and wife, but the Christ goggles that we should put on when we think about the church. When we look at the institutional church, those fellow believers, our neighbors, everybody, when we put on our Christ goggles, we're able to see it with more of the light of how the Lord sees us and the fullness that is painted in this uh, tapestry, I would say, in, in Song of Songs, helps us to do that. So today, as we close out our time, um, may we put on our Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. That strong word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information on their great work around the world, bringing Christ-centered teaching materials to people in all parts of the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome regular guest, Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor Dieterding, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Yeah, it's good, it's good to be here. How are you doing today? Well, well I'm, I'm doing just fine. Happy Advent. Hey, to you as well. Happy New Year. Right? Yeah, well, exactly. New church here as we get started here, yeah. And that's a good reminder to our listeners that, yeah, when we come to Advent, which happened on Sunday, the beginning of Advent, that it is the new year and the new birth, uh, the preparation as we look to Christ and our new life in Him. I was telling my congregation here, Pastor, maybe we should plan this all for next year, that Zion and Messiah have this party planned, that on the Saturday night, we stay up till midnight to celebrate the new year of the church here. What do you think? Have a party, um, figure out to do it virtually. What do you think? Yeah, you know, if uh, if my congregation was about uh, an average of about 30 or 40 years younger, it might be workable, you know, but uh, a lot of these people are, are going to be in bed by that point, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, so, so tell me, what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the Saints of Zion? Um, all's going well here. I mean, we just uh, we're just now uh, getting starting to get more into season. More people are coming down from up north, and then they they will be here a couple of weeks, and then they'll go back up for Christmas, and then come down in January again, and then stay for about three to six months. It depends. You know, there's just a lot of different uh, a lot of different time frames that people have uh, that come down here to uh, enjoy Southwest Florida, but. Uh, yeah, we've we've already started seeing a number of people coming back. We have a snowbird pastor uh, from Denver, uh, Colorado area, from Loveland, actually, uh, Pastor Donald Hinchy and his wife Margaret. Uh, I know a lot of people know them, and because uh, uh, of Margaret's work with the National Youth Gathering for many years, 
and they sure, uh, yeah. they come down. They're our winter. They're our winter folks. They come down, and he connects in with the pastoral ministry here, and she connects in with music and just uh, all the educational things that are going on. She 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 gets connected as well. So they just got back. So we're excited to have them back, and they'll be here for about five months with us. So. Well, and that is a, a real joy um, to be able to have those pastors kind of fill in and help out and, and ground running, and they're able to do that to bring the Word of God. And also, you know, we can learn a lot from these guys who have uh, paved the way. So this is a good reminder for me, to uh, for you, our listeners, to pray for our pastors, especially our retired pastors, because when you do that work and when you do this work that, that we do, um, it becomes part of you. So when they, quote, retire, they still want to do it. I see that with my father. My father still fills in, um, does a lot with in Miltona, Minnesota at a dual parish. And and he just loves it. He loves it. Um, and so pray for your retired pastors that they continue to serve faithfully in the ways that God um, gives to them. So, Pastor, I, I'm ready to dig into Song of Songs. Actually, I'll tell you this. I had a friend I was talking to this morning, and I, he said, what are you studying today? I said, Song of Songs, Chapter 8. And he said, well, you know, I thank the Lord that you didn't ask me to study Song of Songs <laughs> chapter 8 with you. So, Pastor Dieterding, you are coveted um, in a weird way. So, Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I kind of feel the, I kind of felt the same way whenever I saw this, <laughs> because I thought, oh, Song of Solomon, yeah, I'm going to have to definitely be refreshed on that one. So yep, um, yep. I, I, I went to my handy-dandy uh, Luther, Luther's works just to see what Luther did with this, and uh, it's been very interesting, because I'm going in, to be interested— because I haven't been able to connect in every day that you've been mm-hmm. covering this, but I'm going to be interested in how you, uh, what you, where you're coming down with a lot of this, because it is a, a such a figurative um, uh, song poem, you know that right. that we have here. So I'm, I'll be interested to hear your input as well. Well, and and that it's a reminder. I'm going to say it now that if you have any questions concerning our text today, Song of Songs, uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or give us a call, 314-821-0850. To be honest, there's some maybe some insights out there with our listeners, because we have just these great theological listeners that we have that send great questions or thoughts. Uh, send that to us, because there is it's very complex, and that's why we ask for the Holy Spirit's help this morning. So, Pastor, can you ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning, that we may see Christ and understand His Word in prayer? Absolutely. Lord God, you have brought your Word to us uh through the prophets of of old, through kings. We pray that you would be with us today as we hear that word and uh, as we hear especially a word here about um, it it looks and appears like it's truly a a total love story, Um, but there are some complexities, as we know, in this this song for us, Uh, some jewels and some gems that uh, we can receive in our relationship with you as your people, uh, living in this world, and living as your people here. Continue to guide us and lead us to show us how you would have us live uh, here with one another and with our neighbor, and then also how you would have us live as those who are part of your kingdom, brought into that kingdom by baptism and faith, that the Holy Spirit might continue to nourish us by this word this day. This we pray all in the one with whom we are waiting upon, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, as we look at our text today, um, we're at the end of Song of Solomon, and I think it's something that really has been an eye-opener for me of the the, the tapestry that gets painted of, of marriage. 
And at the same time, the ability of Solomon to one, obviously have his issues, I would say in relationships because of all the concubines and, and wives that he eventually had. But also as this, uh, um, Dr. Mitchell talks about how this is probably more younger time in his life as opposed to Ecclesiastes, which was towards the end of his life. And, and for us to be able to see kind of that youthful vigor that he has for his wife and at the same time, the desire of her for her husband and that beautiful um, communication that we really don't see in today's world at all. So, Pastor, as we come upon Chapter 8, what, how do you want to start us off in light of that, of how we see the whole book? Um, how do you want to start us off with Chapter 8? So I'm not sure um, what all you have uh, discussed concerning this book as a whole. Yeah. So um, I have to say that, that you know, I, like I said, I, I reached into um, where Luther was at in relationship to this uh, particular book, and, and even with uh, Chapter 8 here today as well. And uh, he seems to see it as uh, a relationship with God uh, in the future spreading of the kingdom of God, and that this has a lot to do with our relationship with his word and the worship of him. Um, and it's, it was just, it's very interesting how he has dealt with this, because um, he sees this book as completely figurative and completely an illustration uh, using figures of speech uh, to produce this grand oratory um, on the subject matter of, of uh, you know, this, this whole relationship that we have, um, and, and really of all of our work together uh, as God's people. Um, and he even talks about a government here and there as well throughout uh, his commentary. And this is where, as we look at chapter 8, there's parts where I think it can make us feel a little uncomfortable um, because it does speak about, I would say, sexual activity, consummation of the marriage. At the same time, it speaks about the body in a way that we just don't usually talk about. And if we do, it can be seen as more pornographic or uh, degrading um, to somebody, uh, to the, the opposite sex. Um, but it also creates, like I said, a, a picture of of what is is going on in a in a masculine way, I would say, and in a feminine way. What's going on in the heart of a husband and wife while they desire one another and so forth. And in the midst of that, knowing full well, this marriage was not perfect because Solomon did not live the perfect <laughs> faithful life either. So any any thoughts about how this can make us uncomfortable and why it's important for us to be able to talk about it as Christians? Now, if you if you just again, you know what I was saying is, if you take this literally and just look at it as a relationship between a husband and a wife, or you know, you're 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 not going to be able to see it in in the realm of its figurative values, which would uh, which would actually be the relationship between us and the Word of God and uh, our work together in the kingdom, and and. After reading what Luther had to say about this, um, it, it does make a lot of sense that uh, this could definitely be pointing us uh, to what God wants to provide with us as bridegroom and bride in our relationship with Him. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's and that's where it all comes back to, or else this is just kind of like another love novel. Um, let me just let me just let me just let me just share something I, I did also see within the uh, opening of the Song of Solomon from our Concordia Study Bible. 
Uh, Luther yeah. on the Song of Solomon. The third book, the Song of Solomon, is a song of praise in which Solomon praises God for obedience as for a gift of God. For where God is not himself the householder and ruler, there is neither obedience nor peace in any station of life. But where there is obedience and good governing, there God dwells. He kisses and embraces his dear bride with his word, which is the kiss of his lips. Therefore, when things go in a land or a home as nearly as possible, according to the first two of these books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, then one may well sing this third book and thank God. For God has not only taught us this, but has himself also done it. Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. So, Amen. So that's what I'm saying. It depends on you know, how are we approaching this. Are we approaching it as a as as a couple who are married and we're just kind of uh, in the bedroom with them, listening and, and and reading it that way, or are we truly part of the story as God's people, the bride, and He as the bridegroom? And there's something very intimate going on, especially in places where we where we are reading more of an intimate uh, physical relationship uh, that we're, we're hearing uh, uh, written out here in this poem. And so poetry is that way, too. I mean, when you think about poetry just in general, um, it is not uh, generally written in a very literalistic way. It's, it's lit, written in a way uh, that it's pointing us to something else. And for Luther, anyway, um, he was able to see uh, that it had something to do with the Word of God, with the governance, uh, God's relationship with us, um, and it makes it it makes it a very different kind of a read at that point. Well, let's let's start digging in. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm I'm hoping I'm ready. Let's, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so as we look at it, we'll begin in verses one through four. One through four, as Solomon, uh, excuse me. Uh, right now, it's the the Shulamite woman who speaks. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. I would lead you on and bring you into my mother, the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink and the juice of the pomegranate. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases so there's a number of, uh, well, like you said, this is very poetic language that we need to be very careful how we interpret and to admit when we just don't know. So where do you, where do you want to begin, maybe with what we do know in those first four verses? Well, if you, if you, if you look right there at the first verse, um, you know, you see how it's talking about, oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my, brother's bre- at my mother's breast, you know. For Luther, in his understanding of this, as I was laying out to you earlier, um, you know, he sees that uh, this chapter 8 really is a conclusion to the entire canticle that we've had to pray for the future spread of the kingdom. And with that in mind, um, he's got this sense that uh, someone would give you to me as my little brother. He actually sees that as uh, the infant that's sucking at its mother's breast is the bridegroom, which is an interesting picture whenever you when you look at it that way. Um, he seems to uh, talk about this little baby as being God among his people. Uh, so she says, you are like a child sucking his mother's milk. Uh, who will give me the privilege that I may see you 
introduced abroad to all peoples through the word of the gospel. That, that I mean, you can't see all that just by reading that verse, but within the context of how he's been interpreting it all the way up to these to these uh, verses here in, in chapter eight, this is how it's been. This is how it's been presented um, in his commentary, anyway. So as you look at that, it it there's there's a a relational piece to this, and I like how you laid the groundwork there because that is definitely not something that you would <laughs> be thinking about a whole lot. But there's that connection to the incarnation. There's a connection to Advent as we look at everything as well, um, and there's definitely this desire of the bride to be able to publicly, you know, show her affection because in that culture, this is what I was reading in that culture, it was not acceptable for you to get intimate, like to give an open kiss or a hug or be in, in public. And mm-hmm. she yearns to do this. I, I want to be near you. I want to be with you. And I know there's definitely language I was reading where this speaks about us, that we want to be closer to the Lord. I mentioned this a, a few episodes ago saying part of our goal uh, mission statement here at Messiah Lutheran Church is growing in Christ. We want to grow more and understand the depth of his grace. And so definitely you feel that yearning from that perspective, from our end, to know the Lord even more, which is why we have thy strong word in our Bible studies at our churches and why we preach the gospel. And you definitely have that feel. Um, and I think that relates to what you said in verse one as well. Other thoughts you have in verses one through four? Well, just to, again, just kind of sticking here with first one for a little bit, um, that, you know, mm-hmm. that, again, the idea of meeting us outside is to meet us uh, in an expanding kingdom, and then to be kissed by God, what, how would, what would you think? If, if, it's God, if it's actually God giving you the kiss, what would you think? How does he kiss us? He kisses us what? Through the giving of his word. Mm-hmm. This is uh, a kiss, uh, kind of like a mother gospel, you know, <laughs> that comes to us. Um, and I just I thought that was a, an interesting picture that he has painted here, which makes me want to go back and read the rest of his commentary at this point, because it, and I'm sure it draws up to this point. And I'm not sure how many of the other pastors that you have been working with have been talking about this kind of relationship, uh, along with the fact that it's a story that, you know, literally uh, it seems to be between a, a husband and a wife and not so much between uh, God and his word and us. And, and when you start looking at it in that light, it, it makes it different. So tell us, uh, when you read the rest of this chapter, how do you see that affecting the rest of the chapter when we see it through that light? Well, if you were to see it through the light on, on the way through the rest of the chapter, and actually through the entire book, because he says that this is really talking about our relationship uh, with God and with government um, here in this world, too. And I, I'm not sure exactly how he's done all of that, but I have highlighted a few points along the way just to, set, just to, to explain uh, where he is in his understanding of the figurative use of this, of this uh, particular book. Okay. All right. So, so as you look at this, now, now, I'm, now my filter is starting to change a little bit, so <laughs> bear with me as, as we try to go through this. Um, that he speaks about a few things. Going to my, she speaks, excuse me, about going into my mother's home. Uh, spice drink, juice of pomegranate. Uh, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Before we get to verse 3, those two verses, I mean, this is vital how we interpret the first verse as we see the next two verses. Any thoughts on 2 and 3? 
Yeah, so so in, in number two, as I'm reading through this, you know, he's talking about uh, the house of his mother, but yet he says that this it, it expands even to the faith of their fathers, you know, that this uh, that we Gentiles have re- been received now into this family, and there uh, we are being taught. Uh, we're being taught, of course, through the Word of God, uh, from what we've received from our fathers and mothers in our family, um, that... Uh, that that teaching, of course, comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he stays on track with with all of those kinds of things. And then giving us this wine to drink, this juice of of pomegranates, um, again, keeping with the imagery of the Word of God, that we are drinking in uh, this, this fabulous juice of all that God wants to give us in the teachings of the gospel. Um, even richer and more effective uh, than it was under the law, he says. So, uh, and then in the in this whole putting his hand under her head, and 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 his right hand embracing me. Uh, again, let me just quote this from Luther. Here he uses yet another amorous image borrowed from the marriage embrace. By this image, he indicates that this kingdom is in God's protection, and is ruled and directed by God. Since it is true that we are plainly not to be in doubt concerning God's favor toward us, uh, I think, man, what a beautiful picture this is of God embracing us and and, and taking care of us as His pride. I mean, if we if we are looking at with these, you know, like you said, these goggles on, you know, so yeah. and you're looking at at it through these goggles, this is this is very interesting to see how how He continues on, and then verse four. Um, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you stir not nor awaken love. Again, you know, he sees it in in terms of uh, all the cities that are surrounding Jerusalem to be quiet and peaceful, don't cause disturbance and turmoil and and tumult, um, but that we're to rejoice in all that he gives to us in the grace and the peace that we have in the in the protection and and all the you know all that he gives us in his rule. Um, you know, so not not to be disorderly, not to disrupt that relationship. So that's that's a, that's a different way to look at at this as we go through it. And that was definitely a common theme in verse three, because that that is exact quote from chapter two, which was something that we spoke about. Literally, almost exactly what you're saying is that this relationship, as we look at a, at a as, as as Solomon to the Shulamite, that she felt when she was with him that she was and protection, protection and basically in the palm of his hand. I mean, that's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of language he's using here. And and that reminds us, and I love how you said in verse two, just the sweetness of that relationship and the sweetness of the gospel, the sweetness of that forgiveness of sins that we receive, the sweetness of the word of God that comes um, to us. And how could you not look at somehow a Lord's Supper connection to this? as well is something that I I didn't receive, but you definitely want to make that connection. But then to know that everything is in the Lord's hands, that as a bride feels protected with her husband, when things, when it, when it's done well, um, that is how we feel in the, uh, we call it in the palm of his hand or uh, in the shadow of his wings of the language that we'll use. It definitely has a great imagery for us. And pastor, why is it important in verse three that for us in the church today, believe that we are under uh, God's protecting hand. You know, that this is a to me this is just a, a powerful image, you know, to see the uh, 
the the husband, the bridegroom. Um, you know, one of the one of the uh, the thoughts is is that that's part of what a husband does, a, a father of a family. You know, you see them as the protector, the one who is there to provide, to give safety, and uh, you know. I, what better place to be than in your father's arms or in your mother's, or even in your mother's care, you know, in, in any of your parents' arms, um, you can, you feel safe and secure. I know that when my kids, like, would go off to college, uh, I've, I've got our youngest one now off to college, um, you know, she returned home for just a couple of days. It wasn't very long here for the Thanksgiving break. And, uh, I can feel a little bit more of a snug uh, embrace whenever whenever we get back because uh, this is her first time away from home and 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 I can sense it. She there was just more of a closeness and I think it's because of the security, the the safety, the peace, the tranquility that we have in just being at home. And and what more can you say about being at home than being in the in, in the embrace of our Lord? You know, as far as we as 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 we continue to look at our heavenly home. And something that, and that you're, you're beginning to this is very helpful, and I want to be able, we have about a minute and a half before our break, is something that the filter that I've seen and something that I've had a hard time getting away from in this text is that understanding of marital purity, a purity before marriage, you know, sexual uh, purity, the um, faithfulness of, 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 a, yeah. of, a, of a virgin, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, and this brings me back to this, that the way that you are describing this and the way we've looked at Song of Solomon is very helpful because of, I would say, the, um, the, in the 90s and the, to the 2000s, you had a lot of literature on saving yourself for marriage, which is exactly what we as Christians promote. We are, we are right there saying that sexual, sexuality of a husband and wife is to be saved for the husband and wife that this is something that brings that oneness of flesh that we see. But then we have situations where a book that was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye in the late 90s by Joshua Harris. And he wrote this book. And since that time, he kind of went back and forth. And now he has completely denied the faith. He's divorced his wife, uh, has nothing to do with Christianity, because the identity was not found in the fruitfulness of a marriage, the fruitfulness of a relationship. It was simply following fundamental laws saying right. you don't do this and everything's going to be great. And if you do if you, when you do this and everything's going to be great and we end up treating people like objects. And what I'm finding here is at first glance you can see this book almost being like he's treating her like an object and she's treating him like an object because he's describing their body and describing the desires. But as you describe that in verse 1 this brave brings it together of the fruitfulness, the beauty of this marriage. And for us to be able to see that also in the beauty of the church. Right. I, I'm trying to think through all these uh, uh, filters right and now because you brought it together for us today. But in about 30 seconds before our break, any first thoughts before we talk more after the break? Yeah, and, and, and when we come back from the break, I do want to talk more about this divine relationship we have as God's bride and Him as the bridegroom and, and how that connects to the words that we're reading here in, in uh, Song of Songs, too. So. Well, let's get to it. Right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Song of Songs with Pastor 8 with Pastor Curtis Dieterding, and we'll be right back.
You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Reading is fundamental. The nation's largest children's literacy organization invites you to rally our children to read. Visit rallytoread.org and help your child pledge to read 100 books by Read Across America Day in March 2022. Also, watch well-known authors read their favorite books, find activities to keep young readers motivated, and teachers can enter the Rally to Read sweepstakes for a chance to win 100 books for their own school, subject to rules. Inspire your child to read. Visit rallytoread.org today. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back. We're studying the last chapter of Song of Songs, which is Song of Songs, Chapter 8, with Pastor Curtis Dieterding of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Now, I want to take one step back, as I spoke about this before, that we as the church, as Christians, who take the, the scriptures faithfully, and this is part of who we are as the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, and, and uh, to preach the gospel in its purity, but also to cling closely to the word, that we, we believe that the sexuality is saved for a husband and wife when they are married. And this is something where uh, culture does not at all promote this. If you watch any TV show, you watch any movie, you read many books, it promotes it as kind of like, it's no big deal. But as a church, we've had a tendency to kind of say, well, that's wrong. Don't do this. And then we leave, one, the beauty of marriage, I would say, the, sec- the sexual nature of marriage, the consummation of marriage, and the beauty of marriage in general, and the desire of a husband and wife. We, we leave that beauty out, and we just get the rules down, and then we, 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 don't, we leave it. At the same time, we're not always great. We have not always been great, including myself, of promoting the reality of the forgiveness of sins for those who fall, whether it's a lust situation or an actual situation where you were not faithful. Um, that, that, that forgiveness, that we look at the cross and we say, what sin has Christ not died for? And we say he's died for them all, including this one. And so you put all that in together, and here we see the beauty of what marriage is. So, Pastor, what's your encouragement for Christians as we try to put all these things together, where we don't want to be too fundamentalist, but at the same time, we want to preach the truth of God's Word, and then the beauty of marriage, and then the relationship with God and His church? How do you want to pull this all together? I kind of threw a lot of things at you there. Yeah, you, you want me to cover all that, huh? Okay. <laughs> I hope we get through this uh, the rest of this chapter. Um, the, exactly. the reason I, the, the, you know, what I, what I was saying before we went to the break, too, really kind of relates to this, because in our relationships, there's, there is unfaithfulness, uh, unfaithfulness to one another because of our sin, not necessarily unfaithfulness physically, you know, with someone else, but just unfaithful in how we treat one another. You know, we make these vows that, uh, you know, we want to love and cherish and honor and all those things, respect and 
And yet we don't do that all the time. And in our relationship, our relationships with each other are not perfect. There's not one who is perfectly faithful. However, our relationship with our with our our God, it's different. Um, you know, the the the, uh, the bridegroom is absolutely 100% faithful, even in spite of the unfaithfulness of the bride, mm. the church, mm. us. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's the one who who cleanses. I can't help but think of Ephesians chapter five. You know that uh, he's the one who cleanses the church. I couldn't. I can't help but think of you know passages like from Revelation in that whole. I mean, I can't help but as I listen to how Luther addressed this particular psalm, uh, this Song of Songs, I, I'm looking at, I'm thinking about, you know, then I saw from, from heaven, this is Revelation 21, I saw from heaven a new earth pass away and the sea no more, and I saw the holy city, new, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We definitely can see that relationship there in that language. And then again, in uh, 21, uh, verse 9, actually coming into verse 10, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And it's just the, the imagery, really, if you connect with that kind of imagery of God, and then we as his people living, you know, in, in this world as citizens to one another in his kingdom, um, it's, it's an interesting picture indeed, because everything you just talked about in a relationship between a, a husband and a wife, um, we see in our relationship with, with our God. And the beauty of this, too, and I, like, like I said, there's been a lot of imagery of smells and bells and, and fruitfulness in the marriage, that in our lives, there's, there's a point where we, we start treating people like objects. And it's not intentional. It's not like we, we ever want to say this publicly, but either a statistics that we say, well, this is how many people are coming to church and this is how many aren't or how many, how many inactives do we have? And we just treat people like a number or like objects or whatever it might be, or it can happen in a marriage or in a relationship where we just kind of, we, we treat each other not as a gift of God, but of something else. And this is where we all need to repent. And I call you our listeners to repentance when we're not treating each other in the fruitfulness that our Lord has given to us. But the beauty of this is that you see, for example, in Hosea, you know, when, when he's to marry, marry the prostitute, Gomer, that, that mm-hmm. here you see the yeah. image of our Lord's love that God does not treat us like an object, but as his beloved and redeemed and forgiven child. And that is the beautiful picture, I think, that wraps us all together, that throughout Scripture, it is the Lord, who the, the bridegroom, who is bringing his bride back to him, even when she's unfaithful, because he is always faithful. And that's a forgiving grace that we receive as his people. So um, that that's, I mean, I don't know, the verse one, as you mentioned that, it just... I don't know, I'll throw away my notes now because it, it, it has nothing to do with what you just brought up. But but that is the faithfulness of God to his people even when we're not on, not when we're not faithful. Your thoughts before we move on? I think we should move on. <laughs> All right, sure let's keep going here. Let's keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's do uh, verses 5 through 7. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she bore you, was, bore, who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes our flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. 
if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would utterly be he would be utterly despised. Now, verses five through eight, there's a lot going on. We got the apple trees, we got the seals, you know, <laughs> seal in your heart, we got waters that cannot quench love. Where do you want to begin? We got water, we got fire, we got everything there. You know, we got it all. <laughs> so, so it's it's just uh, there's just so much imagery. I mean, we could we could go on and on for a long time, but I'll try to to, to condense this a little bit. You know, as far as I'm, what, again, what I'm understanding as far as understanding this as a uh, figurative uh, song, you know, the, set my set my seal or set me a seal upon on your heart and a seal upon your own. Uh, it's basically just talking about faithfulness, you know, just embracing me with your heart, uh, fixing your eyes and your heart on me, you know. So, and and that's uh, that's a that's a call by the one who loves us dearly, and it, it indicates like this uh, need for a strong and unbroken spirit. When it says, "For love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the gr- the grave," and mm. and you know, this indicates like. Uh, we need a strong spirit um, so that we can get past all of the trials which which happen to us in this world. And so uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like the saying, "Love conquers all." You know, for love is as strong as death, which conquers all things, and and envy or jealousy is as hard as the grave. I mean, this is this is kind of the imagery that we understand or can see uh, from the point of view that that we've been taking of seeing this as both. Um, uh, you know that that the that the, we have the bridegroom and the bride. We have our relationship with our Lord, with with His Word. You know, which is just as uh, the Holy Spirit and all the work that's going on. And then it's talking about it flashes like uh, the flashes of fire or of flames. Um, I'm trying to to remember what it says. It flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And you know mm-hmm. that's interesting because that is the exact flame to which uh, it's talking about here. The flame of God. Um, th- this is a this is a a love that we have that cannot be extinguished. You know, it's uh, it's it's not. Um, it's not by human will, but it's it's a fire which God has lit in us, according to what um, the understanding uh, again, uh, Brother Luther in this in this uh, in this relationship. I, I find that so fascinating as as you read thinking in terms of this uh, understanding of the relationship, not just between a man and a woman here that's being uh, written about here, but uh, that it actually can connect us to. Uh, God into the kingdom and to the word and all of those things. And it, it is nice when she actually puts in the Lord that we don't have to try to like interpret this as something other than the Lord that brings us together. And that's where this put your seal on my heart is her desire that her husband, you know, puts that seal like you would put on a letter to say that not only is this is this um, um, protected this letter, but also that is the seal that says, this one is mine, you know, right. that, that this is my wife, and this is the one. It talks about that in previous chapters, too. And then that connects it to this, you know, the, the, the fire that is there, the love of the Lord, and that seal he has put on us, which, you know, other parts of Scripture, it points us to baptism, that he puts his mark on us, his seal on us as his beloved children, and, and that many waters cannot quench love, pointing us to the, hugging that point to the Red Sea, where the, where the Lord did not let the waters um, destroy his people, but he separated it and they were saved. And so you have all of this wonderful language of saying that the love of God goes beyond everything that we can possibly imagine on the side of eternity. 
Anything else in five through seven? Yeah, I, I, just to just to kind of close that uh, verse seven there. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really liked the uh, last part, the last half of that verse. If if a man offered for love all the wealth of his home, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. For when you look at love of money and love of of uh, in relationship with God, um, that's always been a conflict, always been a battle. So. Uh, Love is more valuable than any wealth we could ever gather. That's uh, that's really kind of an understanding there of of what that means. So, uh, money can't buy me love. Isn't that a song there you somewhere? Go. I think somewhere there you along go. those lines. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So real quickly, and I want to just take a few minutes with this. Verse five is quite fascinating. That um, who is this coming from the wilderness, learning, leaning on her beloved? It's kind of one of those rhetorical questions. Like, well, you know who it is. It's your Solomon. It's your husband. I mean, what are you talking about? Did you find anything on that in verse five? Well, yeah. It, again, with the same relationship that I've been talking about, it's it's our it's our husband. It's our God. It's it's our Lord. This is who we lean upon, and especially when it comes to His Word. You know that we can lean upon Him. Uh, and knowing again, you know, wrapping it all back into the the uh, the safety, the protection, the the the, uh, the love that he has back for us, um, and it's just kind of interesting that that uh, the second half of that is talking about this apple tree where um, where your mother was in labor with you, <laughs> you know, and you're going through the she's going through the bearing of the of childbirth there and so forth. Um, it's it's. God goes to great pains to be, you know, our God and to to be with us and to uh, watch over us. So I mean, there's yeah, there's just a lot of imagery here that uh, that you could really um, start to see uh, when you think of the relationship between us and God. So we've heard from the Shulamite. Now in verses eight and nine, we hear from others, and it's kind of like this chorus in the background at times in this poem, where you have the husband and wife, and then you have these third-party people speaking, and you're not exactly sure how that relates, but poetically, it's quite beautiful, because it brings it all together and points us sometimes in a little different direction. So here we have verses eight and nine from the others. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build her as a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Now, once again, this definitely, the, the title of this section is Final Advice. And here, this is bizarre, right here, verses A9. I mean, it is, I mean, you read this in church and people are like, what is going on? How would you start us off? Well, you you look again at this. You know, if you if, if you're trying to stay with the figurative understanding of our relationship with God, um, we see here that uh, there's always a need for growing in the grace of God. We see um, that uh, this day that she was spoken for. I like that that uh, imagery there because when was that? Well, when when Christ actually um, showed us how much He loves us by being going to the cross and there dying for us and uh, making us His own. You know, I mean, you can see, uh, you can see, in this that, um, you know, as we grow, uh, we will, we will do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for, um, and then, and then just the fact that God makes us all of these things as we mature in our relationship with Him. You know, as far as uh, being a wall or, or built on her battlement of silver, she's a door. We'll enclose her with the boards of cedar. You know, all of these things can only happen through the Word and in God working in us, uh, giving us these gifts. 
And that's where there's there's that meaning, and I, it's really helpful how you how you look at that is is that practical language as well that you know the the family's there to um, protect their children um, from well from evil to curb them from that uh, to to uh, to build a wall when you need to build a wall around your kids to the door to enclose this door to make sure they don't go outside of that door and I'm taking a very simplistic view of what is being said here. But at the same time, there is that that protecting that 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 love and grace that the Lord protects us under His wings, as I said before, and that's the language here as well, because that is us. That's the the young little sister that still needs maturing. That the Lord will protect us at the time that we are in need. Other thoughts on eight and nine you have, Pastor? I'm just yeah. This whole idea of walls and doors, um, you know, keeping us protected away from things like. Uh, you know the world, things that can that, that can move us away from the one whom we love and who loves us. Uh, you know, keeping it, you get this idea of protection again uh, against like false doctors. If you're thinking in the terms of the word, you know, we we're talking about leaning against the word earlier, um, and then uh, the protection that we kind of see here uh, in these words as well. So, we'll also move on to when the Shulamite speaks, verses 10 through 12. I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Bahal Haman. He was he let out the vineyards to keepers, let each one to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my own, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, have may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. All right, let's continue with that theme. How, how does that line up? Um, well, I am, I am a wall. My breasts are like towers. Let me just share what, what Luther actually says here do. concerning do. this. It says, this is the voice of the bride already in her maturity. Remember, we were talking about that with the little sisters. She's growing. For after the giving of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Word, the church truly is a wall against the cunning. And that's what I was talking about, being protected against false doctrine, mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. the world, against the cunning of Satan and heretics, as it says here. And it has breasts, firm like towers, by which it teaches, consoles, corrects, and I would probably add on to that, uh, nourishes, mm-hmm. um, right. gives us right. the strength that we need to grow strong. This, and then he goes on, this doctrine and these consolations are very sure and very firm. Souls find their rest in them. In other doctrines, they find no rest, as experience shows. So I, I, I just I find this so fascinating. And like I said, I, I've got to go back now and read. I want to read all of what he says concerning this book so that I, got a, I really got a full, full flavor of this whole relationship as he's laying it out here throughout. Uh, all eight chapters. And it really, you know, as I think back to our study, that that is very helpful. And I would argue that we really have kept that um, that focus. Dr. Mitchell started us off as we introduced this book. But it also is, is so tricky because the way you said it was just, I would say, just a tad different than what we've had in each of our studies. And at the same time, it's the same essence of how do we see Christ and the church and, and how not only um, for us to be able to see what the church does as far as the word sacraments that we've been talking about, but also how the church sees the church and other people. And, and then how you see things 
makes a huge difference on how you do things. And then we see it in the marriage, you know, how you see each other is going to reflect how you treat each other. And, and that's, and that's a big part of what you just read there. Cause we could see it just as some kind of weird um, imagery, but also, yeah, let's be honest about what the church actually does. And the analogy of, of, of a breast is, is, is helpful when you put it in context, because that's exactly what the church does, according to what Luther just said. And it's very, it's very practical, I guess you would say, and how we look at it. Um, we have only, we have about uh, six minutes left in our time. Anything else, 11 and 12, before we get to what he and she said at the end? Um, just, uh, you know, we, we got this imagery of also this vineyard. You know, I just want to just touch on that just a little bit. And he let mm-hmm. out the vineyards to keepers, each one to bring its fruit in thousand pieces. And it's interesting. I mean, you can, you can, you can definitely see in that um, the work of the apostles, the work of ministers, the work of pastors, you know, that they're all part of this, of bringing fruit um, to to all all the people um, that that are all part of this story here, if we see the church and we as the people of God. Um, so, yeah, but, so, so this is God's vineyard, and we are part of that, that vineyard. We are part of all that God has done for us. And he takes care of us, too, uh, uh, through hopefully people that he has called as ministers to be faithful to his word that nourishes us. And this is interesting because there's language that's used throughout that basically I am his and he is mine is this language. And we see this in the hymnody as well. And that relates here that basically she is saying he is saying that what is Solomon's is hers, that this is a one flesh goes beyond the, the sexual union the last names, <laughs> the this is my husband language, and it's basically everything here is yours and everything that is yours is mine, together as one. And this goes back to God's gifts, right? Uh, everything I give to you is, 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 is mine, but it's also yours. And so how do we steward this? How do we love our neighbor? How do we use this all to his glory? Knowing that we, God, God is not out there and we are over, way over there, but we are united as one. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So all of this is joined together with a God who, who basically lifts us up to his level and says we're together in this. And it goes so far beyond to say, yeah, we're on the same team, but yet you do your thing, I do mine. No, it's a unity that goes beyond, which is the incarnation during Advent, we think about Christmas. It's just mm-hmm. a, a wonderful reality that brings it all together so fruitfully. Anything else before we move on to the last two? Well, yeah, and just, you know, people on their own can be thinking of the imagery, too, of Christ as the vine, we are the branches. I mean, just the whole, if you if you bring, you can bring that into some of this language that we're hearing here, too. You know, if, we can, if we're comparing, you know, Solomon to uh, God, that part of the figurative language, and then, uh, then the woman here uh, speaking, um, as she is connected in that, and I like that they're the, the keepers of the fruit, you know, that, that mm-hmm. idea, that... that that imagery that we have there. Yeah, let's go ahead with uh, 13 and 14. 13. And, and Solomon speaks, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Uh, hear what exactly? What do you think, Pastor? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what, huh? what is that? Come on now. Give us more. It's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so, so you know, again, I'm trying to... Trying to uh, 
I, I would have been completely lost had we had we just tried to dive into this today, and I wouldn't have been able to look at any kind of a reference to how can we view this whole. And I and I hear how you and other pastors have been doing this in the past, just staying more with this uh, relationship and comparing it to our relationship within within life. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're pretty much doing the same thing. It's just um, I, I believe that that Luther kind of dives in a little bit more to what this actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you who dwell in the gardens, you know, who, who dwell as a church, you know, in in all that God wants to give to us, um, all the good gifts that, you know, we get good gifts out of gardens, and, and God uh, gives us good gifts that uh, help us to continue to grow as his people. And um, so let me hear his voice. Now, that's an, that was an interesting one, because all of a sudden it's just going, so uh, you who dwell in the gardens, your companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. And so, yeah, I was wondering the same thing here. Why? <laughs> after pointing out that there are those, and, and I'm quoting now, after pointing out that there are those who pay attention to the bride, he also brings up this point that she should not be silent but should speak. For this still remains, that the Word of God be assiduously uh, put into practice so that we are not weighed down by distaste or contempt or hatred of the Word. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's as far as I need to go with that. But I'm just, I thought, that's interesting. See, again, hear it, and, and he's always, uh, he's been referencing the Word and our relationship with God and tying God and Christ and the Word all together, uh, working, of course, through the Holy Spirit in this whole relationship with him as well. So let's hear from the Shulamite as we end our time in verse 14. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. So once again, we we do hear this language quite a bit. First of all, of beloved. There's definitely a language there that she is is telling her beloved husband, meaning that, that the one that will protect her, the one that loves her, her desire is for him. And then she uses language that's throughout this book, gazelle, young stag, mountains of spices, you get the smells, you get the vision, you see the strength, you see all of that. But I really struggled and I, I, I didn't look up this verse as much and I hope you did because it's like, this is a crazy way to end this whole book is that she speaks and it's just kind of a general statement. What'd you find? Well, I found that, that Luther had kind of a, a, an apologetic end. <laughs> that that well, this is one way to look at it, but it okay. but it sure beats the other absurd ways that I've heard this translated. So it, it, to me, it indicates that yes, this was a struggle for him as well to try and remain with that uh, with that figurative understanding all the way through. Can can I share that with you? What, what it Please says do. Here? Yep, yeah, we so have about here, two minutes. This is his last words on the on the matter. <laughs> Make okay. haste, my beloved, was this, was this word. So here the bride, in turn, says farewell to the bridegroom and asks that he put an end to this captivity to the law, because, again, always attaching him to the, to the word, and scatter the unrestricted doctrine of the gospel on the world as on the changing mountains, and be like a gazelle, never standing still in one place. In this way, I understand this book to be about Solomon's state. If I'm wrong about this, <laughs> a first effort deserves lenience. The musings of others have a much larger share of absurdity. <laughs> so, oh my so he's saying, you know, he he's probably he too 
like we all have, just like I did to prepare for today, are looking in, at other resources, other others that have made comments that we have trusted to be, uh, you know, true about the Word of God, you know, trying to actually bring about the truth to us. And uh, so it's, it's interesting that even in his admission, you know, this is how he had seen it all the way through as far as a relationship between uh, God um, as, you know, Christ as bridegroom, we as his bride. So, yeah. As we look at Dr. Mitchell and how he ends his commentary, he connects it to this, which I think is beautiful. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag in the mountain of spices. He points it to the final resurrection. Make nice. haste, O oh Lord. Lord, come quickly. And I think that really, that, that pulls it together. Luther was probably right. There's a lot of question marks, but also it brings us back to this love of Christ to his bride. And what we do, we wait, and Lord, come quickly quickly. Pastor, about 30 seconds, your last thoughts on this. So I, so now I, I, I think I finally caught on. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it, you got to connect dots for me. I'm so visual. But I know that uh, you, you keep saying Mitchell, and I'm like, oh, that's probably from the Concordia, uh, the Concordia mm-hmm. series. <laughs> so, yep, yep, so I forgot that's right. He did actually do that. I happen to know him <laughs> myself. So I'm oh, like, okay. oh, I get this. So um, now, now I uh, understand. But I I just I, I enjoyed actually reading you know reading it from the perspective of, of Luther I'm 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 going to go back like I said I'm going to read the rest of this just to see what all he has done with all of this because it was very very interesting indeed um, and uh, and I just wanted to say you know if we can look at all of the scripture in terms of our relationship with our Lord who loves us dearly uh, embraces us uh, protects, provides protection, safety, and eventually uh, a life eternal with Him. I mean, this is what this this can surely be seen as in in this relationship between husband and wife. Pastor Curtis Dieterding of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida, helping us pray or to be in God's strong word of wisdom from Song of Songs, chapter eight. Pastor Dieterding, thank you again for being our guest. It's always a joy. You know what? All I can say is amen. We wait as the bride waited for her groom. We wait for the Lord. Lord, come quickly, and we know that he will, and he protects us along the way. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.